turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're new to us, we have been working through, verse by verse, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a multicultural, very wealthy, influential city in modern-day Turkey, but Ephesus was also a very immoral city. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, calling them to remember their identity in Christ and to live as the new community of God's people in response to God's grace. You need to remind yourself of this, and we, we keep reminding you of this because we don't want you to miss it, but let me say it again. Chapters 1 through 3 are about your justification. Paul is writing to the church, telling them of the finished work of Jesus Christ, how sinners who were once dead in their trespasses and sins, enemies of God, without hope, were saved by the grace of God, not because of their own works, but because of the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that justifies us. Justification, chapters 1 through 3. And it's in light of our justification that we now work out the sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more according to the holiness of God. You have no part in your justification. It's all of grace from beginning to end. But you do play a part in your sanctification, in your conformity to Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of grace too. But you do cooperate with the Spirit in your sanctification, even though your justification is all the work of God. Chapters 4 through 6 emphasize our sanctification. And so what we've seen is Paul saying, in response to God's grace, here's how you live out your new identity in Jesus Christ. So chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, walk worthy of the calling you have received. Chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, don't live any longer like the, the unbelievers around you. You live distinctively Christian as followers of Jesus. Chapter uh, 5 verse 1, we hear Paul say, walk as imitators of God. Follow in the holiness of God himself and how you live in response to God's grace. Chapter 5 verse 8 through 14, Paul says, no longer walk in darkness. Walk now as children of the light. And then last week, Pastor Heron preached from uh, chapter 5, 15 through about 18. And it, the message there was, Live wisely, not like fools. Live wisely, understanding the time, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Walk according to the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pick up today, chapter 5, verse 18, where Paul is going to tell us again how to live in response to grace by living in a covenantal community and uh, a fellowship of Christ-filled spirit-filled followers of Jesus in the context of the local church and primarily in the context of corporate worship, how to live the spirit-filled 
life. So read with me. That introduction was worth it. I wanted you to see where we are. Chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. Paul says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before we pray, I just noticed reading this in the first service this morning in God's providence how we're called to give thanks for the fatherhood of God. Isn't it amazing on this Sunday that this text says, God is your father. For those of you who know Jesus, God's your father. I think that's worth mentioning. Let's pray together. Oh, heavenly father, the one who loves us with an everlasting love and is infinitely good and cares perfectly for your children, would you capture our hearts and our affections and our wills this day by sending the Holy Spirit to transform us, make us to hear your word, to reverence your word and obey it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Next week, a week from tomorrow, I fly to St. Louis for the PCA's General Assembly, in which all the presbyteries of the PCA gather for our denominational meetings. It's in St. Louis, and in anticipation of that, I noticed that the convention center is downtown. Uh, Aaron and I worked for uh, a rescue mission or a, a ministry down there in St. Louis when we were in seminary called Sunshine Ministries. Sunshine Ministries was a wonderful ministry uh, dealing with the poor and people in blighted areas. It was uh, people who were on drugs and, and alcohol and who needed to be rescued and, and given job training. And some people came in off the streets and were showered and given clothes and, and meals. And, and those that made it went through this program that rehabilitated them and allowed them to go out and live productive lives. It was a, it was a beautiful ministry. A friend of mine who was there before me, Greg, told me the story of when he worked at Sunshine Ministries. And uh, Greg said that there was a guy, let's call him Robert to protect his identity, but Robert was a rodeo cowboy, a rugged man who went down to the Gulf uh, to work on oil rigs and was brutally assaulted down there. And it so scarred him that he started a life of drugs and alcohol and ended up on the streets homeless. He made his way up the Mississippi River and had started coming to Sunshine Ministries in downtown St. Louis. He was doing so well. He, he, he was cleaned, he showered, he dressed uh, uh, respectfully again. He was, he was cleaning up from drugs and alcohol. He was getting the training that he needed. And he was nine months into a 13-month program when he one day ran off. My friend Greg was brokenhearted because he had seen Robert have such great progress. And so Greg went literally through the downtown streets of St. Louis into East St. Louis and some of the worst possible areas looking for Robert. He went into brothels. He went into uh, drug houses. He went into bars. He went into liquor stores. He looked out in the streets and just looked and looked and looked for Robert. Didn't find Robert. 
Greg was brokenhearted. He went back to the mission. And a few days later, Robert did show up. He had new possessions. He had gotten a paycheck from working a little bit through the mission, and he spent all his money on stuff and was sort of proud of his stuff. But Greg was, was brokenhearted. And Robert announced that day, I'm leaving the program. I'm ready now. I can go. They pleaded with Robert, Robert, please don't go. But they couldn't force Robert to stay, so he left. Greg say, said he wept as Robert walked out the door because he knew this would not be good for Robert. A year later, he sees Robert at the McDonald's across from Sunshine Mission there, and he's drinking a cup of coffee on the streets, and he looks as bad as he did the day he first came into the mission. He saw Greg... He looked over at the mission, walked around the corner. Greg said it felt like he was longing to be back home but wouldn't come back in. He walked around the corner of the McDonald's and Greg never saw him again. It was heartbreaking because Greg knew there's no way Robert's going to make it unless he is in this spirit-filled community of believers holding him accountable, getting him the spiritual nourishment and care that he desperately needs. This would be the burden of Paul's heart too. Remember last week, Paul said, as, as Pastor Heron taught us from this chapter, that Paul said, we have to redeem the time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Don't live as unwise. Live as wise. And Paul is earnestly writing this letter to the Ephesian church, and he's saying don't be foolish. You must live in the Christian community of the saints. That's why the, the text talks about the one another's here. This whole context of this text of Paul's admonition here is that Christians don't leave the community of light if they don't leave the community of accountability, that they stay regularly, faithfully involved in corporate worship or they're toast. They're not going to make it. This is the burden Paul has here in our text. And listen, brothers and sisters, I would say it to you. If you do not saturate yourself with the presence of the Holy Spirit who reveals to us the gospel of Christ in the context of corporate worship and corporate Christian community, you're not going to make it either. The days are evil. They're becoming more evil. And Paul is saying here, only living under the influence of the Holy Spirit in the context of the church is going to allow you to persevere in faithfulness. Now, Paul says this, verse 18, be not drunk with, the, with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, just very simply, if someone gets a DUI, they are driving under the influence of alcohol or some substance. It has control over them. They've had too much to drink. And Paul is in prison, and he's writing this letter to Ephesus, and he's saying to them, you have to understand the, the context here, that in this evil culture of Ephesus, there was the temple of Artemis and Diana, uh, there and, and there was all sorts of sorcery and, and drunken debauchery in their worship, but there was also the Greek gods that were influential upon uh, the culture, and there was this Greek god Dionysus. And Dionysus 
as part of the worship of trying to appease this God, the people would, would get drunk and in, involve themselves in all types of lewd sexual behavior as part of the worship to appease the gods. And so Paul's saying, don't be drunk on wine like the culture around you and their false worship. You must instead be drunk with the Spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit that draws you to Christ in worship. That's the context of what's going on here. Let me help you understand it a little bit more. Look at the top of your bulletin if you have it. If, uh, you'll see that there's the text from Colossians chapter 3. Uh, above the sermon outline there, this is Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, and you'll notice he writes almost the same thing to Colossae that he does to Ephesus. The same message, the words are different, but the overlap will help us understand the point that Paul is getting at here. Look with me, Colossians chapter 3, 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ, which is the gospel, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Here's Paul's point. If you take our text, Ephesians 5, and that Colossians 3 text, and you overlap them, you will see the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a ministry of exalting Jesus Christ and reminding you of all that Christ has done in your life. Uh, Jesus said, John 14 through 16, it's good that I go away from you. I will leave you the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that uh, if I were the disciples there, I would say, no, 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 Jesus, it's not good that you go away from me. I want you here. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's good for you that I go because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be your counselor. The Holy Spirit will be your encourager. The Holy Spirit will remind you of all the things I've taught you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is Jesus's agent of reminding you and working in your hearts all that Christ has done for you and all that Christ is for you. So when Paul says, be drunk with the Spirit, he's saying, put yourself under the continual influence of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit makes much of Jesus. And the more you gather in corporate worship and community, the Holy Spirit will make the person and work of Jesus more and more, more influential in your life. And that, Paul says, is what it means to be drunk in the Holy Spirit. Worship not like the, the people around you. Worship Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is getting at here. And he's saying... It's a continual work. You know, this last week, my, two weeks ago, my kids were at the beach, and uh, one of my kids put on sunscreen early in the morning and drank one bottle of water early in the morning, and by the end of the day, uh, my child was sunburned and dehydrated. And he said, I put on sunscreen, I drank water, and Paul says uh, to, and I said to my son, you have to do this continually. You have to Continue to drink of the water. You have to continue 
to apply the sunscreen. Paul's saying here that this work of submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit in Christian community is a continual action. Let me describe it this way. J.I. Packer said that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is a spotlight ministry. The Holy Spirit's work is to spotlight Jesus Christ in your life. Think about it. If you drive down the road and you see spotlights illuminating a house, you don't really even notice where the light's coming from exactly, and you don't even look at the spotlights. The spotlight illuminates what you're supposed to look at. Well, Packer says that Jesus is, uh, that the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to illuminate Christ so that we focus our gaze on Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying to us here, this is what the church must do to survive spiritually. Now I want to give you a little grammar lesson to also help you understand what Paul's doing here. Kids, you're out of school, but, but bear with me for a minute. Verses 18 through 21 are one long sentence in the Greek. And Paul is saying this one idea, and it has four uh, subordinate clauses to it that make up Paul's argument here. First of all, this sentence is an imperative. It's a command. Paul is saying, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, it's present tense with continual action. Paul is saying that you must continually be being filled by the Holy Spirit. This is something you must continue to do. Thirdly, this is a passive verb, meaning we don't fill ourselves, we submit ourselves continually to the one who fills us. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, be being filled by the Holy Spirit continually. It's a plural verb, meaning that the whole group, all of y'all are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit together in community of worship. This is Paul's argument. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit who once sealed you. Receive his ministry continually in your life. And then the four participles that Paul gives here. He says this, we are to be addressing, here's how we are to uh, demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit and experience the power of the Holy Spirit by one, addressing one another or speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Number two, by singing unto God. Number three, by making music and melody in our hearts unto the Lord. And number four, by mutually submitting to one another. These are the ways that Paul says we are continually filled by the Holy Spirit. I know that's a lot of background. I have three points that I won't take forever to go through, but you had to understand all of Paul's argument there to understand what we're supposed to do. So the first thing Paul says for us to do here is to practice mutual edification in the context of worship. That means, brothers and sisters, that our worship, when you come into worship on the Lord's Day, it's not just a vertical relationship, an act between you and God. There is a horizontal dimension that is taking place in your worship. That means that when it comes to corporate worship, you are your brother's keeper. 
You have a responsibility to walk into corporate worship, not just thinking about you, but thinking about how I can bless everyone around me. That means when you don't show up for corporate worship, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting your brother and sister who desperately need you to be here to buoy them in their Christian faith. And how do we do it? Paul says that we address one another, we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, there's been lots of writing on what that means. Here's my best guess from what I've read at understanding this. The psalms, that's pretty clear, that's the psalter. The psalter, the psalms were the hymn book of the people of God in the old covenant. They sang, that was their trinity hymnal, the psalter. They opened up their Psalter and they sang psalms. And that's why we as a church read psalms and use psalms in our call to worship and use psalms in our assurance of pardon. And we also use psalms to sing here, music and songs based on the Psalter. So we encourage one another by singing and speaking the psalms to one another. By the way, that's why we do antiphonal readings and responses in our church. And Tiffano just means that back and forth. Did you notice our call to worship? The, the pastor says this. The congregation responds in this. Uh, we speak back and forth to each other like the Psalms do. Check out Psalm 136, for instance, which repeats the refrain, his love endures forever, over and over and over and over. But this horizontal dimension of worship where we sing psalms, and then hymns. What would the hymns be? Most likely the hymns were things like Philippians chapter 2, that great hymn that describes the humility of Christ. That was probably sung in the church, in the New Testament church. If you look back here at our text uh, from a few weeks ago, this is probably a hymn. Look at verse 14 of chapter 5. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's Paul's compilation of some Old Testament passages that was most likely a hymn that the people sang. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. What are the spiritual songs? Those are the songs of the Spirit that the Lord continues to write on the hearts of every generation. Every hymn you love from the 1600s is also a new hymn, right? It was God's word on the hearts of people who wrote beautiful music. The hymn we sang before the song today is a new spiritual song, a hymn of God's glorious majesty. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, we sing them to encourage one another. We recite them to encourage one another. If you've come to my house this past week, at any moment that anybody was home, you would have seen the Copa America uh, soccer championships and the uh, Europa Champions soccer tournament going on. It's constantly on our house. And the things that we love uh, to watch in the soccer are wonderful. But what also moves me every time is when nations stand up and grown men put their arms around each other and all their fans are in the stands and they sing their national anthem together. It's moving. It's beautiful. And I had this thought this week. Tell me if you agree. Anthems remind us of our identity. Anthems remind us of our history. 
Anthems remind us of our loyalty. And anthems remind us of our purpose and mission. So when those teams are standing there and they're singing their anthems, it reminds them of our identity. It reminds them of their loyalty. It reminds them of their history. It reminds them of their mission and purpose. And brothers and sisters, when you walk in these doors and you sing the hymns and the anthems of the Christian faith, you are declaring to one another who you belong to. You are declaring to one another the work of Christ, your history and your mission and your purpose. That's what we do in corporate worship. And this is not just theoretical. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. Do you know why they're in prison? Because they've shared the gospel with this woman. This woman kept following them around, and she was prophesying. She was foretelling the future. And she so annoyed Paul that Paul saved her, okay? So maybe I ought to try that when people annoy you. She was saved by the gospel. But that made her owners mad because she was no longer productive for business, so they got the city leaders to throw Paul and Silas in prison. It's midnight. Paul and Silas are in prison in a dirty, dank dungeon in an inner cell, locked. And what are they doing? They're buoying one another. They're encouraging one another by singing hymns. And through the power of that singing, their hearts are lifted. The prison doors open, and the Philippian jailer comes to Jesus. Do you see the power of mutual edification in the church? I could give more and more to this. I've gone too long with this point. Let's go to the second one. Mutual adoration. This now moves from the horizontal element of worship to the vertical element of worship. Do you see what Paul says? We speak to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then, look with me at our text. We sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing songs to God and about God. And, and by the way, don't, isn't that what the Psalter does as well? How many psalms are David or the psalmist cry talking to God? And then others are the psalmist speaking about God. And we want both of the content of those types of songs in our worship as well. We sing about God and we speak to God. And what do we do? What's the content of our singing to God? We sing with heartfelt passion and emotion. This is such a great singing church. Men and women, young and old, singing with all their hearts unto God. Why? Because our hearts are full of gratitude for the work that our Father in heaven has done through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See the Trinitarian nature of our worship here? We sing songs of the Spirit, giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the content of our worship is continual gratitude unto God for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's not concerned here, I hate to tell you, with the style 
He's not concerned with the instrumentation. His concern is, does this magnify the work of Christ on our behalf? We give thanks to the Father through the power of the Spirit for the work of the Son. Sinclair Ferguson described it this way. He said, what a privilege it is to belong to this millennia-old covenant family. Whenever we read the Old and New Testaments, we are looking at our family album. Isn't that awesome to think about our connection to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We're looking at the family album. Learning about church history is simply visiting with our relatives. Assembling for worship is going to the weekly family reunion. When we assemble to worship, we're coming to the family reunion. But Sinclair Ferguson will go on to say, it's not just a family reunion of those who are gathered here. We're joining the saints of old in a cosmic worship service. We're part of a mega church. Not a mega church of a lot of people at First Presbyterian in Augusta, but the, the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ that gathers together to proclaim with one voice. Think about what you're doing when you're here. You're in the presence of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you're in the spiritual presence of David himself and all the saints who laid the foundation for this church. And together, we are corporately proclaiming thankfulness to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. You know, we celebrate this weekend... Juneteenth, particularly for our African-American brothers and sisters, celebrating when the Union soldiers in 1865 came into Galveston, Texas to announce, you've been set free. Two years prior, the Emancipation Proclamation declared they were free. But it wasn't until these soldiers reached these people in Galveston, Texas, that they were heard once and for all for themselves, you are universally free from slavery. And it started celebrations of joy. It's a beautiful picture, and we rejoice in that, but you know even more? Every time we come on the Lord's Day to corporate worship, it's our Juneteenth. It's celebrating with the saints of God that we've been liberated from bondage to sin and to the devil. We've been set free forever. That's why we give thanks. Thirdly, I just have a few minutes to, to mention it, but we not only practice mutual edification and mutual adoration, being filled with the Spirit means a mutual submission. Paul said, being filled with the Spirit is evidenced by and is empowered by our mutual submission to one another. That when we come into worship and live in a church context together with one another and for one another, we gladly, humbly look out for the interests of others above ourselves. We gladly lay aside our rights for the benefits of our brothers and sisters. Now, it doesn't erase authority structures. We're going to get into that in the next chapters when Paul talks about authority in the home and at work 
uh, and, in, and with fathers and, and children and husbands and wives. God has established authority. But it begins with a heart of mutual humility and submission that says it's not about me, it's about how I can care for those around me in the family of God, Jew and Gentile, old and young, black and white, Asian and Hispanic, that we come together as the family of God and say it's not about me, it's about Jesus and it's about his bride. I thought our church did this admirably during COVID. You know there were as many opinions as there were people on how COVID should be handled. But in great humility, this church said, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't think I should have to wear a mask, but I'm going to wear a mask because I've been asked to wear a mask. I don't want to worship in this room. I don't want to have to worship in this room. I should be able to do whatever I want, but for the sake of my brother and sister, I'm going to submit because being a part of the body of Christ being filled by the Spirit happens as we mutually submit to one another and to the God-ordained structures and authorities in our lives. You showed great humility by the way you handled COVID-19. There's a difference, isn't there, between saying, this is my church, this is where I belong, and saying, this is my church. In other words, that this church exists for me. This church is here to meet my needs. This church is here to do things the way I want this church to do it. It's great to call this your church. It is your church. But part of being the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is mutually submitting to one another for the glory of Christ. Did you catch it here? Submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. In the same way that Jesus Christ humbly submitted himself to God the Father. Was Jesus equal to God? Yes. But Jesus humbly submitted himself to the work of the Father for your redemption. And Paul's saying, in light of what Jesus did for you, you practice this mutual submission and blessing to look out for the needs of one another. That's all the time I have for that one. Let me just end in this way. It's no surprise to you that I apply this to your faithfulness in corporate worship. If you're going to cross the finish line in faithfulness, Paul's saying it, not me, that as you live in Christian community, morning and evening, coming and putting yourself under the Christ-centered ministry of the Holy Spirit, you are going to be strengthened in the inner man in such a way that you will persevere to the end. Let me say it this way. Every worship service you attend, putting yourself under the means of grace, every worship service you attend increases your probability of crossing the finish line in faithfulness. I really believe that. Every time you choose to show up here morning and evening to attend corporate worship, it increases the probability that you're going to cross the finish line in faithfulness. Paul's saying to be filled by the Holy Spirit is to live in community together with mutual edification, 
mutual adoration for what Christ has done. That's why we rehearse the gospel over and over and over. And mutual submission to one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bear with me to give you one more image before we leave, and I'll let you go. Have you ever seen the documentary that ESPN did called Catching Kayla? Kayla Montgomery was a freshman in high school when she was a great soccer player. I think she lived in North Carolina. She had a promising career in soccer. And after one of the games, she started noticing some some numbness and tingling in her back and numbness and tingling in her legs. And uh, they came to find out as she ran tests that Kayla had MS, multiple sclerosis. It meant that she wouldn't be able to play soccer like she wanted to, but she loved to run. And so she set out to say, I'm going to become the best runner I can be, and I'm going to run until I can run no more. And so she started working and really became a great runner. In fact, won a state championship by the end of her high school career uh, in, in one of the races. But what happens with Kayla is when she would start to run, She was cool at first, and then all of a sudden, as things started to heat up in her her body, it exacerbated her MS, and she would lose all feeling in her back and in her legs. And as long as Kayla kept running, she was fine. She couldn't feel a thing. But the problem was, when Kayla crossed the finish line, she couldn't stop. Her whole body would fall apart. So they call it catching Kayla. Because at the end of the finish line, there's Kayla's coach. And Kayla would cross that finish line and fall into the arms of her coach and have no feeling in her extremities. And you can hear her on the video crying out, God, help me. God, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel anything. Give me some ice. Give me some water. Help me. And the coach carries her over to the sideline and they put ice on her and they put ice around her neck and on her legs and they, they start to give her water. Sometimes they even would do IVs for her. She's a complete wreck. But then they nurture her back to health. The next week she's running again. There's two images I don't want you to miss. One is multiple sclerosis actually means multiple scars. It's a picture of the Christian as broken and sinful and messed up and weak and debilitated as we are. We run faithfully the race marked out for us. And one day, you know who's going to be at the other side of the line? Your Savior. And He's going to welcome you into His arms and you will experience the eternal nourishment that is yours in Christ. But until then, I think every Lord's Day is a catching Kayla Lord's Day. Where you weary runners do what God has called you to do and you stumble into this place and by the means of grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are nurtured back to strength in Christ and we send you out of here with the benediction to go change the world for Jesus. This is what Paul's describing for us. What a privilege. What a blessing to be the people of God in community together. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you send that promised Holy Spirit, even as we begin each worship service with the invocation, invoking the Spirit's presence here, 
we know that this transformation of being filled with the Spirit cannot happen unless we submit ourselves to the means of grace, word, sacrament, and prayer in Christian community. Please, O Spirit, make that a reality in our lives, we pray. For the glory of Christ and the sake of our weary souls, we pray it. Amen.